This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fine Dining, the search for the most mediocre restaurant in America, is a podcast where comedian Michael Ornelas is traveling the country, eating at all chain restaurants in search of the perfectly average 5.0 out of 10 dining experience. The objective middle threshold of where bad becomes good. Friend of the Doughboys, Marissa Pinson and John Glover were the most recent guests as they reviewed Costco's Food Court. It's a two-part episode that covers everything from discontinued menu items to how many Costco hot dogs they could fit in their mouths. Damn, I wish I was on that episode. I'd crush that. Head over to linktree.com slash fine dining podcast, F-I-N-E-D-I-N-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and click B's giveaway to enter a giveaway for an all-expenses-paid trip to your local Applebee's, the current frontrunner for the most mediocre restaurant in America at 5.02 out of 10 for you and up to three of your friends. And you can watch or listen to fine dining on your platform of choice while you're there. Enter by May 1st, and the winner will be announced on the May 8th episode. Disclaimer, $50 will be provided for transportation along with a $200 Applebee gift card. I love doing those fast read disclaimer things. Go give fine dining a listen. The search for the most mediocre restaurant in America. Ooh, ah, that magic spoon. <laughs> magic spoon is back another week advertising on High and Mighty. And thank goodness, because that means I've been getting magic spoon cereal in the mail. I love it. Look. I grew up eating cereal. Most of us did. Eventually you learn it's very bad for you. It's just a big bowl of candy in the morning. And then you have to give it up, cut it off, you know? And if you're trying to cut down on carbs, sugar, unhealthy food, there's no way you can have cereal. And a lot of people are, I've been taking protein shakes, protein powder, blah, 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 et cetera. Now I have a cereal that gets me the protein and doesn't give me all the sugar. Let me talk to you about Magic Spoon. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. 140 calories a serving, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Build your own box or get a variety pack with available flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. And very important you guys know this, Magic Spoon is bringing back two super popular flavors, cookies and cream and maple waffle permanently. When these first flavors were introduced for a limited time, they sold out extremely quickly. You got to get on these. Uh, I'm telling you, I, the two new flavors are awesome, but maple waffle, I don't know if I'm supposed to say, but maple waffle is my personal favorite and totally worth the order in and of itself. So get yourself some healthy, delicious Magic Spoon by going to magicspoon.com slash ham to grab your delicious cereal and try it today. Be sure to use promo code HAM at checkout to save $5 off your first order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash ham and use the code HAM to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. What's up, shitheads? Welcome back to another episode of High and Mighty. It's me, your boy, standing six foot two, 289 pounds. He's the number one fuckboy. Oh, you 
gotta do is trust me. Jackson Maine, Johnny G. Also joining me in the High Mighty Studios, my nearly silent co-host, Arthur Gabriel. Arthur, give him a shout-out, would you, brother? Nothing from the dog. He's not even in the room. This is just a pattern I can't stop doing at this point in my life. All I know is podcasting. And speaking of podcasting, I have a fucking guest. Don't you worry, I'm not going to be talking to myself the whole time. With the sick note substack, we got Libby Watson. Hi, it's um, Hi. <laughs> it's it's so different when you can see it. <laughs> what you're doing it makes a whole whole world of difference. Oh well, that's that's wonderful. You didn't say it was good, but thank you nope. so much. <laughs> Extra horrifying. So thank you for that. <laughs> you know, it's just it's it's just a a new experience, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for new experiences. <laughs> yeah, at this point in our lives, new experiences yep. haven't in had 30s, haven't had a bunch yeah. in the last year. Yeah, with the exception of like half a million of my fellow Americans dying. That was a mm. new experience, but not the yeah. kind I'm chasing. Right. I'm thinking like sunsets in interesting locations. Mm, yeah, not... I was thinking more Machu Picchu. Uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's that is something during the quarantine that me and my wife decided that we want to hike Machu Picchu. That's, that's so uh, funny that's... you mentioned that we were like that would be a fun thing to like have to prepare for like let's just go on a bunch of hikes and we know that it's because we're training for vacation right right <laughs> to me Machu Picchu is the place where I mean this this maybe this shows my age but to me Machu Picchu is the place where tinder guys would would take photos so I guess I guess you guys don't need that but it, it no, must no. be a nice place anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming if guys are taking tinder photos there it's probably it's got to be great beautiful. yeah yeah. Is that one of the cliche? I'm I've never been on a dating app. Wow. Wink. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like I better not be. <laughs> uh, I, this is funny. I learned this week was Father's Day. I don't know when this episode comes out, but texted my brothers. I'm like, do any of you guys have good pictures of dad? Who <laughs> my dad who passed away? And I was like, yeah. they were like, no, it's a bummer if your dad dies before smartphones. And I was like, <laughs> oh right, all we had was like pictures my mom took of framed yeah. photos so it's built with the glare or it's like kitschy yeah. and says family on it i'm like yeah. i can't post any of this shit ma i gotta get clout for having a dead dad let me get it out there <laughs> but, uh, i don't know so i think that that adds a layer i think you know if it, the the reflection and if you can kind of see your thumb in it as well yeah. you know or like yeah you the see my mom's of, hand yeah yeah the like, kitchen <laughs> counter that you're taking the photo on yeah I, I've, I've been and there. of course if it's a gabriel's family photo it's us five giants just standing <laughs> shoulder to shoulder looking at the camera because we're not like me and my brothers my mom like broke posing for photos in our family like she mm -hmm. did it so frequently like turn around and look at the camera <laughs> like in front of every location we went that my mom has thousands of photos like oh at the southernmost point in the u.s and it's just three boys like <laughs> so many oh look we're at we're in aruba at the hotel let's take a picture it's just a ho beautiful hotel in the foreground are three guys like mom <laughs> knock it off we're fucking 14 we hate pictures <laughs> uh, you know, actually, it's it's funny you mention it. My this is this is going to sound like a bummer, and it is. But my mum died a couple months ago. Oh, um, I'm sorry to hear. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, that meant I was going through all the the old photos too. Um, and yeah, I looked through every single one we had like three times because I was trying to throw away you know two thirds of them because there were like five thousand. Right. Um, and for, it's so funny the way you can see the expressions in kids' faces changing as they get older. <laughs> like, you know, when they're eight or nine, it's like, eh, you know, like doing silly faces. And then they hit 13 and it's like death face. You know, I'm wearing yeah. my Nirvana shirt. I've got like <laughs> a terrible leather jacket that I bought in Camden Market for like 25 pounds or something. 
<laughs> just like staring at the camera, like absolutely livid about just being in Rome, you know, somewhere completely beautiful. And I look absolutely <laughs> fucking miserable. It's so real. And it's affected me to this day where I don't want to take photos with my wife when we're out. And then yeah. because of my career, I sometimes have to get my photos taken by someone whose job it is to take my photo. Yeah. And then that is a real fucking head to head combat of like, can you smile? I'm like, just take the fucking photo. And it's like, <laughs> aren't you happy to be on a TV show or on the red carpet? I'm like, I hate, they're like, you're an actor. And I'm like, ah, I still, I don't like to pause and smile. I feel yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not I'm comfortable in my a- skin that way. No, absolutely same. Uh, I'm having a similar problem right now because um, for my for my green card, uh, I need to my husband and I need to prove that we're still married because it was two years since we got married, and so you have to like submit a bunch of shit to the government, being like, "No, we're still here. We still love each other. We still live in the same house." Blah blah blah. And one of the things you have to submit is photos. But my husband just hates having his picture taken. And so I've just been like <laughs> scraping through my archives to find any photo of him and me and like not, you know, not just like I've got like a thousand pictures of him with our cat. I have no <laughs> pictures of him and me. So I'm considering just being like, look, OK, it is, you know, maybe if I put a picture of me with the cat and then pictures of him with the cat, they'll put two and two together. But other than that, I've got no pictures like, of us like at Sorry, a place. INS. We haven't had that many guests in the last year <laughs> well, for seriously? some reason. Yeah, <laughs> we I haven't know, had reasons like... to take photographs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm really hoping that they will take that into consideration because half the like evidence you have to bring is like you know trips you've taken together and like you know places oh, I'm, you've gone. And I'm shit. well aware. Of my uh, one of my first roommates in uh, New York City, mm-hmm. his girlfriend uh, did a green card wedding for their mutual friend, and we oh, right. got to have a fake wedding solely for photographs. <laughs> That's and then they were sick. like, we need an engagement party. And then we were like all changed our <laughs> outfits and went to a different apartment. And we're like, so we were just like partying and getting like, it was, this was also in like the mid 2000s. So it was yeah. the era of like Cobra Snake and those like club photos of like <laughs> just hot hipsters dancing and sweating. So it was like, we were just doing that ourselves. And I'm like, this is all so that Jess can pretend they're yeah. married for the sake of getting uh, this guy. I'm going to leave names out of it. Him citizenship. And it's like, yeah. That was fucking so fun. So now the real version is like, oh shit, do we need to stage more photographs even though we are genuinely married? We have to like figure some shit out here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I have a couple where I remember asking friends to take pictures like, can you take this for my green card file? Like it's just, (laughs) it's the most absurd like little exercise that you have to do, you know? I've started to feel that this year with my, my wife used to work in marketing. Now she like does her own thing, but she was, she would always be like, babe, wait, Stay like that. I need to get a photo of you. You look so cute. You have your beard. Oh. Like and look, you like look on brand, and it would be like for your Instagram. For your Instagram, you got to post this. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be like, that's not even on my thought process. <laughs> but now, every once in a while, I find myself changing. Where I'm like, Tiff, can you get a picture of me like smoking weed at the beach so I could <laughs> tag this weed company and try to get free weed? And she's like. Yeah, fine. I'm like, oh, I'm becoming a monster. I never liked getting my photo taken. But now I see like I can maybe get stuff out of it. I'm like, let's go. Right. I mean, that's the the stereotype is the Instagram boyfriend, like the poor put upon boyfriend who has to take a thousand (laughs) like (laughs) candid pictures of a woman like just, you know, her skirt just flowing in exactly the right way in the wind (laughs) and stuff. So that's going to be you in a year's time. Oh, yeah. If you like um, every time Tiffany borrows my phone, I have to delete. 1000 photos to leave like the two with the heart emo- like that she yeah. favorited i'm like oh okay well <laughs> you almost ripped up my hard drive getting a photo of this bouquet of flowers so like <laughs> slow down 
Uh, wait, so the reason I wanted to talk to you today is because you're, you're, you're a bit of a healthcare nut. Like, uh, I don't know how else to phrase it. Fan is weird. Cause <laughs> <laughs> definitely not a fan, whatever the opposite of a fan is. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're upset with the state of healthcare and coming from not America to America. See, there's me not wanting to guess what part of the UK you're from without fucking it up. So I was like, I should have done a little research. Believe me, I've heard, I've been here 10 years now. I've had all kinds of, I've had people go, oh, so from your South, you're from South Africa or, oh, you're from, from New Zealand or Australia or, or whatever. So I'm, I'm way, way used to it by now. And, you know, and then obviously more offensive stuff comes after that. You know, like, yeah. I remember I have a really vivid memory of being um, when I was at UCLA and there was a, a guy who was like, oh, you're from England. So, like, do you guys even have like microwaves and stuff there? <laughs> and I was like, and it's, Americans really can only think of New England ending in like the 1700s <laughs> because w white people left. Like, yeah. and they're like, oh, what happened? Like. I remember all our stories about England are all uh -huh. like pre-colonial. So when we learn about them, we're like, that must be what it's still like right. there. With horses and carriages, it's like, no, London is a fucking major city. It's like a city. Yeah. It's, a, it's a country. It's the, yeah. it's 2021 there. Yes. Like, and un <laughs> unfortunately as well, Harry Potter has done a huge amount to set us back because, you know, they see the, the old castle and stuff and they, you know, yeah. they say, oh, you live where like Harry Potter lives. And, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of do as well. I live in a, my uh, family lives in a really small village and it, it family is lives just... at nine and three fourth streets. Or yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, my address is like 15 lines long. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's really funny. You said that about everyone assuming England is like Harry Potter is such mm -hmm. a, a fucking dumb, myopic American thing of like, well, these fantasy books I read, that's like, <laughs> there's like an American instinct in Yanks to be like, someone's like, oh yeah, I'm Indian. Oh, mm -hmm. I love butter chicken. And it's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not how you talk to people. Like people yeah. are like, oh, they're like, where are you from? You're like South Africa. Like, oh, like apartheid is from there. It's like, Maybe don't bring that up to yeah. South Africa. Like, like relax. We 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 insist on like, oh, I love pad Thai, and a yeah, Thai yeah. person's like, we don't eat that. That's also like, if I met an American, I wouldn't go hot dog number one and like give a thumbs up. <laughs> like it's we're so Americans are like, oh, I understand your country from the perspective through the lens of my country, yeah. and it's like, yeah. oh, would you believe that there's other POVs about this? Right, right, and of course, you know, I have the I have the privilege of finding that mostly endearing because for 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 Britain, you know, it's like you you really can't get mad about sort of British stereotypes. You know, you can find them slightly annoying, but they're not like actually racist. <laughs> so at least I can find it sort of funny. But I right, can imagine yeah. if you're from you know really almost any other country on earth, it gets really really annoying. <laughs> yeah, I feel like. England still has like the British people still have the like uh, we are the priv we're we're the white people like we get it we're yeah. colonials you're allowed to we're we're former colonists you're allowed to say shit like this to us because yeah. and, we are also, still in the we're still high status yeah. yes exactly and also Britain just is a terrible country full of awful people so <laughs> I have to be like you know if they take the piss I have to be like yep absolutely yeah that's fair true. enough yeah. terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, John Oliver uh, does a good job of kind of taking the piss out of sort of like the uh, British kind of attitude. Like, I, I, I appreciate the way he it's not like offensive, but he's always like, of course, we think that because yeah, we yeah. always do shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I'm just happy to find groups that I'm still allowed to bring up stereotypes about. (laughs) (laughs) It's just us in Canada. That's it. That's all we got. Uh, Redheads, Italians. Italians. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Italians are (laughs) are the classic. Yeah. Yeah. I like Andrew Santino says redheads are the only class, like only people you can still everyone just shit on and no one <laughs> like there's no defending them. Yeah. You, you just don't take our redheads, please. <laughs> please we need them. Yeah. Uh, but also we were talking, how, how does, how does one get, I want to say into healthcare or start really looking at healthcare critically, like the way you have been like, yeah, I how, mean, what's that to, path for you? Cause I, I, yeah. I I'm, I'm in a similar situation. I'm not doing any active work like you are to like help the situation, but I'm in a awakening to the sort of indentured servitude of work ba- of occupation based health insurance. Cause I'm, I witnessed it with like my family. Like my mom yeah. is still working at a hospital as a nurse because yeah. she can't afford to get rid of the health insurance, but she's like suffering. She's like too old to still be doing it. Yeah. But her bills are so high because she's 60 something. And now she's a 60 something woman who's got tons of medical issues, but can't stop working because she needs to take care of her medical issues. And it's like, that feels, and that's just super personal to me. And I know that like, that is exponentially increased butterfly effect throughout the United States. But there's just something cultural about like it, that layer of like, I, I, I've gotten lightly activated by socialism in this last year because of the way I feel that I'm pouring blood, sweat and tears into a machine so that other people can make money from the machine. And Mm -hmm. maybe I could buy a video game. Like I feel like (laughs) I'm starting to get on. I'm like, but the reason I need to work is so I keep in health insurance. It's like, well, if I had a bunch of money saved up, could I not work? And it's like, no, because you need health insurance. And it's like, well, could I afford health insurance? It's like, no, it's crazy expensive. And it's Mm -hmm. like, so you just, have to work until you have enough money to pay for health insurance or you work until you die. It's like the two yeah. choices. And so, yeah. sorry, that's I asked you your origin story in classic high and mighty fashion. I answered my own question <laughs> for super long. I have not let you speak yet, but back to you, Libby. So. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. Like, and I, I wish more people would have that, you know, not to blame, you know, a- Americans for this, but it's so hard to have that kind of realization and to really internalize it. You know, that I'm, I'm sure people, you know, do think like, oh, I wish, you know, I wish I could quit my job. So I could have, you know, thousands of people, millions of people are probably in that situation where they would yeah. quit their job uh, if they if they didn't have to worry about health insurance. Um, but it's kind of making the leap from that to. Uh, so, you know, there's a there's a kind of uh, frog in the boiling water thing going on with with healthcare in America. I think you know it's it's been getting worse for a long. You know, it's, it's Amer- American healthcare has never been good, um, right? And it's only it has, gotten worse and only yeah. gotten more expensive and only gotten more exclusatory. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And it, you know, you kind of you you kind of have to be acclimatized to it. You know, if you want to live a normal life and have a job and not spend all your time thinking about it, you. You know, it does sort of drive you crazy to think about just how like completely cruel and negligent and deadly uh, and vicious the American healthcare system is. Um, and then, you know, just kind of go to Starbucks after that. <laughs> it's really right, hard right, because, yeah. you know, if you think about how many people there are out there who have situations like your mom, you know, and, you know, God, we have nurses are in that situation, like people in the healthcare system. I, I interviewed someone for Sick Note back in January about um, he's an ER nurse and uh, he had a story about 
you know, not taking his kid to the ER because uh, he knew it would be a really, really big bill. And eventually his kid got sicker and sicker. So they did take him. And luckily the kid was fine after a few days in hospital. But, it, you know, he has a bill for like $5,000. Um, and, yeah. you know, he was... I mean, if you was, work at a fucking... If you work as a bartender, yeah. you can get a free beer on your night off. If you fucking dedicate your life to helping patients, your yeah. kid still has to fucking cough up six grand to get their fucking lungs checked out. Exactly. So it's, it, it's, it's so... Fuck and the craziest thing for me, like that, I think Americans need to lock into is that these doctors aren't and nurses aren't getting the money. Yeah, like th- that's what I mean. They are eventually getting some money, but it's not like it's worth it because the guy did a good job. Like it's not like buying a Mercedes yeah. versus buying a Toyota, where it's like it costs a lot more, but you get to drive a Mercedes after. It's like, yeah, this might cost a lot, but you're getting Dr. Watson, one of the best in the game or whatever. It's like, no, you're paying just because that's what it costs to live. Like it, it yep. just, and yeah. you, you see it a little bit with something like this with veterinarians where you see people, I've seen a lot of friends and I would be the first one to fall for this too. S- paying for like, one or two more surgeries than you should for your animal just to let them pass on to the next step in their lives. But rather than give up on that and the vets hit you with like the, well, we could do this and it is expensive, but it would maybe add some life to, and you're like anything. And it's like, it's just unfair because you have them by now you switch that with instead of your cat's health, it's your grandma. Your kid's health. Yeah, or your grandma's <laughs> right. health. And it's like, what do you want to do, asshole? Are you going to let her die or are you going to pay this fucking money? And it's like, yes. oh, my God. It's such an insane, insane way to live. Like, and yeah. My big thing I keep screaming about healthcare too, is like every time I've done something with some of the best insurance in the world, my wife used to work at one of the biggest corporations in America when she, she worked at Netflix. We had their health insurance. It was top notch now we're on because she got laid off now we're on sag after insurance insurance also top notch Mm -hmm. and still a fucking nightmare to move (laughs) any two steps through the process it's like actually these pills aren't covered it's like but my doctor said i need these pills they're like they're not covered i'm like well i need them they're like well you have to get and it's like all these steps and i'm like every every conversation everything's so difficult and i have the best of health insurance i am computer literate I have the free time because I'm childless and a <laughs> podcaster <laughs> and right. English is my first language. Yep. And I still have a difficult time and not even bringing it to the fact that I am like people and computer and business savvy. Not mm-hmm. everyone has that skill set and I find it so difficult. So all I can think about is like the 75 year old Armenian woman whose English isn't that strong, whose kid has to put them on the internet, who's just getting insurance bills or like miss or even more common and even more dangerous skipping the fucking doctor and skipping yeah. the hospital. Cause it's a nightmare. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like- the, uh, the it's a nightmare thing I think is one thing that is really underrated by People in general, but also sort of healthcare experts, um, because uh, you know, and I think you see a little more attention to this stuff now. But it's it's a lot easier to measure the the cost of the American healthcare system and in in raw numbers, and it is insane. You know, America America as a country spends more than twice per capita than what, for example, the UK does. You know, but per person we're spending more, and we're covering not a hundred percent of people, um, but way less than a hundred percent of people. Um, and the, you know, the cost is huge, but 
it's I think it's really hard to overrate that frustration and the experience of trying to do things like sign up for Medicaid, sign up for Obamacare plans, you know, uh, figure out what subsidies you're eligible for and then not getting thrown off those things if your circumstances change, you know, all of that stuff. It's like you, you know, you're balancing on a tightrope the whole time and they're just throwing stuff at you. You know, they're just throwing. It's like the hammer guy from Mario is throwing stuff at you the whole time. And more um, than likely, you're dealing with a health malady at the time exactly. like on top yeah. of all of this if you're because we all have to be our own caretakers in this society because no one there's not a lot of people that i mean yes people have family and friends that take care of them but there's not someone whose job it is at the hospital to be like hi libby it's so-and-so from the hospital let's talk you through your options here and yeah. what costs were and it's like no there's no one to do that you have to do it all for yourself and possibly while suffering from a medical condition. It's like, yeah, honestly, on top of the stress of just trying to survive cancer, my poor, my mom had, my mom is like a twice cancer survivor. And she, I have a distinct memory of her breaking down because yeah. she found out that insurance wasn't going to cover this. Like one thing that she did during like a, yeah. while she was dealing with, and I was like, how is that possible? I know. How is that possible? How is cancer not like, look, we just got to take care of people's cancer. Like when they yeah. get it, like we got to help them. Like that yeah. should just be a given. And that's, this is, this is where I get so mad because I feel, I feel like the answer and it's un, unteachable or unlearnable is everyone needs like a little dash of empathy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. We have to give a shit what happens to other people. You know, it's not hard. And the thing is, it's like, I do think Americans do give a shit what happens to other people and they give a shit what happens to their families. And that's the thing. It's like, you have to be really fucking rich for healthcare not to be, be on expensive your and, and yeah. affect your life. Yeah. I mean, you have to be like more than, you know, what I would, I would consider sort of rich living day to day. You know, can you afford stuff? Can you go, can you get seamless whenever you want? You know, to me, like the height of wealth is, can you get seamless whenever you want and not, <laughs> not Well, when I was guilty? in my twenties, yeah. the height of wealth was taking, cause I lived in New York was like, you yeah. could take cabs whenever you want. Yeah, and it exactly. wasn't a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. overdraft in a fucking cab, which right, wasn't, which, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm now, at 39 able to debit any cab ride I take. Yeah, getting that getting that push notification that says your ba your bank is overdrawn as you're being sped to your home is a really bad feeling. Yeah, when you realize that the $35 cab ride with the overdraft fee is now an $80 cab ride. Oh god, yeah, tell me about like it. Like I should have just walked across the Brooklyn Bridge. Right, exactly. Um I forgot what I was saying now. Why was I saying that? Uh but what what were I, this is we're, my we're fault. We're both too old to be doing this. <laughs> I'm too much of a, I'm too much of a fucking just ranting and raving to. Yeah, put uh, me in the nursing home. But anyway, I, one thing I was gonna, I was gonna bring up, you know, my experience with my mum because, you know, obviously in the UK we have the NHS, um, and the assumption there is is completely different. You know, um, the the kind of values underpinning the system, and that's this is not to say that the NHS is perfect at all, or even you know after ten years of of conservative government cuts and more than ten years, you know, because you know continuous cuts to the service, it's it's getting worse. That they're, they're looking at this beautiful thing that we've created and said, well, what if we made that just worse in every single way? Uh, oh, that would be that would be great. Every person's but, like, well, what if that got a little worse, but I got one penny richer? Yeah, and then everyone does that until it's just pennied to death. Exactly. And everyone else is like, yay a second Bentley and then other people are like okay I'll take my own teeth out it's like right. the two worlds are fucking the two different worlds are crazy so sorry you were saying the NHS is yeah. not perfect but no no indeed um but you know what well, I mean it was it was less than a month from me getting home because my mum was sick to her dying and in that month 
just the <laughs> like a not having to deal with insurance worrying that stuff will be covered but you know she had a, a a palliative care team and you know we would get called you know by them they would reach out to us a couple times a week and say you know what does she need like is she comfortable does she need drugs and you know eventually she had to go into a hospice um for a week and that was all that it was you know money didn't even come up like that's just that's just, it was just assumed, you know, it was, it, there was no bill. There was no, well, are we, you know, are we going to qualify? Um, you know, is our, is our, uh, yeah. Like, Oh, you're, we had things like the insurance when my dad was uh, dying and needed to go into hospice. It was like your insurance only covers X amount of days. Yeah. And so we're like, <laughs> so okay, die quickly so we have to, is the answer. Yeah. Well, the answer, unfortunately, the yes, die quickly. Or in this case, what we had to do was, okay, keep him at home until mm -hmm. he's closer to dying. And it's like yeah. his family is just in charge of taking care of him. Like, exactly. And my family, my mom and brother are nurses. So mm -hmm. we benefit from, if my mom has to take care of my dad, she has some knowledge, but not every family has medical professionals in it. Precisely. And it's like, just keep an eye on your kid until he's ready for hospice. It's like, I'm sorry, what motherfucker? <laughs> like, yeah. put him in there now. It's about making yeah. him comfortable. He's dying. Let him right. die. Right, exactly, exactly. And you know, it was the same for us. My stepdad is a is a doctor, and he's been, you know, he was a local GP in the area for decades or whatever. So he, it was maybe a little easier for us because we knew he knew every doctor who was on her team and everything like that. So that oh, makes a difference too. Yeah, it was, it was, it was huge. But you know, the fact that she was able to to die at home and be visited by NHS doctors in that time. You know, a nurse came out every day to, you know, check her her drugs and uh you know do what was needed to get comfortable and then the night before she died she had this you know sort of d decline she was in pain you know she couldn't talk but she you know we could tell she was in pain and a doctor came out to our house at midnight um and can you imagine like getting a house visit from a doctor in the united states that is just you don't even have to think about money like yeah, it no, wasn't the, the only yeah. people i know who do that are like my super successful Hollywood friends. Yes, concierge, <laughs> concierge medicine, exactly, where, yeah. you know, if you're rich enough, you can pay a guy to do whatever, um, which is uh, an interesting model. Uh, not one it's I the, choose It's the most medicine. American shit ever, where it's like, well, if you have money, you yeah. live longer. It's yeah. like, wait, no, that sounds unfair. No, if you have money, life is easier. It's like, yeah, yeah. well, that makes sense, but you shouldn't get better care because you mm -hmm. have more money. And Oh, in that long list of things I was talking about when I was bitching about insurance, I also have money. Like right. I, there yeah. are people who don't even have the money, like who a $25 copay fucks them up for the week. And they'd yeah. rather, I, I didn't get health insurance until New York state passed the domestic partnership law mm -hmm. because I chose a creative field. So no one was going to take care of me. Right. And I, this was the early 2000s before they greenlit like you could be on your parents till 27 yeah. or something like that. Like that's the most American shit ever. It's like, no, there's nothing wrong with uh, our healthcare system. But when you're 30 years old, you're on your mom's healthcare. And it's like, okay, <laughs> how can you argue there's nothing wrong with it? If it's like, it's like, there's nothing wrong with the housing system. People in their thirties are living with their moms. It's like, <laughs> no, that is an indicative. Here, yeah. Here's like a, here's like a running theory. The general, the generation and I'm going to make this as specific to me because I'm a narcissist, but also my age, I'm almost 40. My parents' generation feels like that the generation that was all that matters is buy a house, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Take care of your kids. Yep. Get your kids to college. Make everyone healthy. And it was just like, as long as my family is safe and happy and healthy, it doesn't matter. And it was like, I'll work myself to the bone. I'll scream at my kid. I'll drink bottles of red wine every single night. But I'm a good parent because they fucking went to college. And that's all. And then I think right. our generation is the next generation that's like unable to do a lot of the stuff yeah. that that generation was told was the was. And we all I did all the stuff they talked about, went to college. And I didn't jump classes like they did from totally. working hard. Well, how and can you when you've got like, you know, fifty thousand dollars in student debt or whatever? You know, when yeah. they when they say, Oh, here's the here's the ladder to to get up to the next the next level. Uh by the way, um we're gonna attach like four hundred pound weights to you in the form of student debt. So good luck. You know, yeah. I mean it's ridiculous. I I paid off my, st- I'm 39. I paid off my student loans t- uh, two years ago and I paid off my nice. wife's, Congrats. which were 80 grand, like three years ago. And yeah. it's like, we were pinned underneath that. Fr- we have no savings now, like, mm-hmm. because we just like finally have room in our budget every month. Right. And it's like, we were just pinned down by going to college and neither of us use college in our professions, which is At brutal. All. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know and anyone who does. it starts to feel does. like you got yeah. scammed, right? It starts to yeah. feel like when you paid, like when you go to a theme park and they're like, oh, uh, parking is $15, VIP parking's 22 And you're like, uh-huh. we'll do VIP. We have the money. We got four people in the car. And then you pull up to VIP parking and it's like a foot and a half closer than a regular yeah. parking. And you're like, yeah. you should tell me that so I don't spend the extra. And then they're it's like- It's itchy and scratchy money. Uh, yeah. My degree is itchy and scratchy money. <laughs> And of course, we do not accept itchy and scratchy dollars here at the itchy and scratchy store. <laughs> yeah. We need more Bort license plates. <laughs> F- favorite, one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> I know it's all time, all time for me. It's uh, the the guy at the end, the French, the guy at Euro itchy and scratchy yeah. line saying, "My children need wine." <laughs> uh, my favorite line from that, while we're just riffing, mm-hmm. my favorite line from that episode is like, "Welcome to itchy and scratchy land, where nothing could possibly go wrong." Whoa! <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing that's gone wrong. <laughs> Perfect. God, imagine uh, having written that. What a dream fucking come true. Uh, what a yeah. crew of elite Harvard educated white 50 year old yeah. millionaires. I know. It's, it's, it's unfortunate, but <laughs> they did. They're successful. They, they did know. make the best show ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all white basketball teams used to win the NBA title, too, like right, way back right. in the day. It's like there's a reason why like we were wrong. but mm-hmm. We just didn't have like fully the entire population competing. Yes. It was indeed. just this one le- uh, layer of the population. Right. Yo, are you guys aware that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Not surprising at all. The game's rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts, and they have more tools and more time. So what I'm introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. So let me explain to you how this works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you v the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name your stakes, winner take all. You have that advantage. Stat Hero is showing you lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. And for me, it's made Stat Hero that much more fun and easy to use because uh, you always end up getting smoked by people who are taking wild swings with their lineups. This, you know what the other person's lineup is, the computers, the house. So then you want to try to beat them. So it's really about taking down one target, which makes it kind of a different strategy in a fun way. You're in total control. Stat Hero is a DFS the way it was meant to be, one-on-one. Play Stat Hero now and change the odds. 
Go to stathero.com slash mighty, sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They are giving you 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash mighty. Stathero.com slash mighty for three times back on your first play. This summer, Bespoke Post is here to take your adventures to the next level with a new lineup of must-have Box of Awesome collections. Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods every month. Yes, I got to tell you, I got this dope-ass knife that it, like has a twine cutter, a shovel side, a serrated side. It's a big-ass blade I got in the outdoors box. Super stoked to take that camping with me. It's a great tool. It's a great piece of... <laughs> It's a great piece of steel. I'm very excited about it. So Box of Awesome Collections, highly recommend you look through. They've got a little something for everyone, whether it's tacos or, you know, outdoorsy or, you know, hygiene products. Get nuts. So get started. Take the quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answers will help them pick the right awesome box for you. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel any time. Each box only costs 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. And you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code MIGHTY at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, B-O-X-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E.com, code MIGHTY, M-I-G-H-T-Y, for 20% off your first box. One-fifth off your first box, promo code MIGHTY. There is like, everyone is like free healthcare. What 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 are we calling that in uh, Medicare for all, or is that mm-hmm. what we're calling it in America? Yeah, yeah. And- Medicare for all is like a, a specific proposal. Um, that, you know, the the technical term for for what it is is a kind of single payer plan where there is only one payer for healthcare, and it's the government. I.e., the government pays for everything. It's very simple to to understand, and that's <laughs> yeah. what I love about it. Is like, you know, they you know, like all the uh, all the non Bernie candidates were you know talking more about public options and all this other stuff that's so more complicated, um, and and sort of preserves the structure of the system we have now, where you have some people covered by insurance from their employer, and some people covered by government plans, and some people uh, not covered, and you know, never mind. About and then them. a lot, and then a lot of people get a lot of people get to get their hands in a, a lot of other people's pockets. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be what they push for. And this is the other, the, another thing that drives me crazy: the confusion, yep. the wonkiness of it all benefits them. It works yes. in their favor that it's like mm-hmm. I don't even know what's going on. I'm just going to go to the doctor and. I I went to the emergency room in Atlanta when I was there for Torco. I had while we're I'm good. I, this is a TMI podcast, but I had a skin infection on my scrotum that caused my scrotum to swell to three <laughs> times the size. It was absolutely horrifying, and I had to get a Dang. scrotal sonogram in the emergency room in a at like three thirty in the morning. It was an in, intense experience. Yeah, I was covered by Tor Company because I was. I was covered by UCB's policy because I was on tour when it happened. Right. I didn't have my own health insurance at the time. Mm-hmm. So that saved my fucking ass. Yeah. But somehow, because it was UCB and me, the $25 copay didn't go to the right person and I never paid it or they never paid it or yeah. so don't don't even know about it. I hear I get a call from a collection agency like oh, six years God, later yeah. and they're looking for now $240. And I think it's a scam. So I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> Move to Los Angeles. Me and my wife go to lease cars from Volkswagen. We give them our credit info, oh and I can't lease a car. 
Holy shit. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? They're like, you you have like debts in your past and like you have credit issues. And I'm like, yeah. well, tell me what? I don't know anything about it. Like, I just moved out. I don't know. This has never been an issue. And they were like, it looks as though, and it turns out it was that fucking $25 copay that got like lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Luckily, my wife was there who had better credit than me at the time. We were able to put both our leases in her name, but yeah. I would have been without a car because I got a skin infection when I was 24. And yeah. this was, I moved like when I was 31. So it was like six or seven years God. later. Yeah. And I was yeah. like still dealing. And I, unbeknownst to me, that's just on my record in that, like, yeah. I, and who knows what that means otherwise. I don't think it matters. Like, I wasn't like missing out on things because of my credit score was bunk. But it was just like this thing where I'm like, wait, this is all because the system is confusing. And yeah. then this collection agency is like, give us $250. I'm like, well, how much do you get? Like, you now you're, everyone is making money off this ex- and I'm losing the most money and I'm the one who had the inf- fucking infected scrotum. <laughs> There's a bumper sticker for you. And I'm the one with the infected scrotum. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's a t-shirt for sure. Um yeah, no, I you're completely right and it's it's all the the sort of hidden ways that the um that the system manages to fuck you up. Um you know, you think, you know, you you're taught when you're a kid, you know, at least, you know, I mean obviously I grew up in the UK, but you know, you think of 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 hospitals and doctors and you go to the the doctor when you're sick and he patches you up and you go home and and you know, that obviously is the way it should be, but because it's America, every level of the uh, every level of the system, every moving part in the system has a guy who is like jammed a screwdriver in and found a way to make money off it. And so you got fucked by that, where um, you know some <laughs> some debt collector has you know bought up all of the debt that this medical office has, um, and it's you know profitable for them to fuck you up seven years later or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many examples of stuff like that where. You know, there is a, a problem that is either just a, a regular ass mistake. You know, someone ticked the wrong box on a form or, uh, you know, like filed the wrong, put, you know, put it under the wrong code or, or whatever. Um, and because there are so many moving parts, you know, you've got your provider, you've got the insurance plan, um, you have like the physician group that your provider might be a part of, or you have the lab or you have, uh, yeah, the you know, lab or- is actually not co- the lab. Your doctor wants yes. to use is not covered, but. Yeah. But if you want to use the lab that is covered, you have to pay a fee to the R. And if not, you have to pay the. And it's like every step of the way is someone like it feels like theme park energy or like one of those games, those freemium games that fuck with you where it's like, (laughs) well, if you want to go a little further, you can pay a quarter and we can, you know. Yeah. And it's like. Exactly. But you don't even get told, like at least in the freemium game, it's like offering you the option. Like you don't even know that the lab is going to send you a bill. You know, you don't even know. Like, no and then one is, suddenly you no get one's, one. No one's on the other end working for us, which always, that's always the thing that yeah. feels so frustrating. It's like, it's costing me a fortune. It feels like I should be able to, like, anytime you have to deal with something with health insurance, like me and, me and Tiff, my wife talk about this all the time. It's like, we always have to deal with health insurance because my wife is a type one diabetic and we both, ha- we're in our forties now. So we have like assorted yeah. maladies. Mm-hmm. We're in our late thirties. She'll kill me if I said 40. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's two months older than me. Uh, but well, she's embarrassing a, for her. I, I know it sucks to be her <laughs> cradle robber. Uh, she's a type one diabetic. We're also, you know, make good money, but the monthly insulin cost yeah. is even for us with insurance and stuff. It is frustrating. Like I canceled my cable. Like I cord cut it. Cause my cable is just like an expense I didn't need. Yeah. And it was 
less than di- less yeah. than diabetes accoutrements with fucking insurance. And yeah, it's like- exactly. Yeah, I actually interviewed a type one diabetic for the for Signo uh, a few months ago, and yeah, I mean, just the hoops that he has to jump through. You know, he was saying like. You know, every because of his insurance, every few months he has to go to a specialist uh, in order to confirm that he is still type one diabetic. And a it's disease like you, that you don't cure. You literally don't cure. You know, that's it. Uh, and and then so let's, let's months, talk about that because yeah. I guarantee no one wants a no one in the healthcare community wants a cure for diabetes yeah. because insulin is a fucking gangbusters money maker. Oh yeah, and it's there's all this kind of shady shit with the. Um, I'm going to get the name of the thing wrong, but it's like the, the biggest diabetic, uh, you know, organization, American Diabetes Association or whatever. Um, and their support for bills that, <laughs> that, you know, that don't make insulin free for everybody, you know, right. um, because they get, you know, these these patient advocacy groups and these disease groups, they end up getting a lot of money from the pharmaceutical industry. And it sounds really conspiratorial, but it's like. Well, why are they getting the money? Like, what? What, what yeah. do you think? You know, what if they if they get the money and then they're advocating for things that uh, you know would not be the most beneficial? That you know, if you if you're the diabetes organization and you're not advocating for single payer, like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> you know, like, if you're the American Heart Association or whatever, and you're not advocating for single payer, what are you doing? Like, that's the the number one thing that would increase you know quote unquote access to a doctor for millions of people all at once. You know. Right. And it, and the, so then it starts to be like, wait, is the American Diabetes Association on diabetes side? <laughs> like, <it's> a, <laughs> like, I thought they were supporting the Americans from the title, yeah. but it seems like they're helping diabetes succeed. And like type two is frequently something that can be taken care of with non-medical intervention, with just yeah. like sort of lifestyle changes can help. And that's not even something. So, and this is anecdotal, of course, so I apologize to any type twos or anyone, any doctors. Or, but it feels like even that is like we could fix it or we can keep getting this person insulin. We can keep sending them insulin and keep making a little bit. And you see these like memes or tweets and stuff where it's like insulin is like nine dollars a jar to make and it sells mm-hmm. for like twenty six hundred dollars a jar. Or yeah. And it's those like weird. This is all happening on a level in American society, in American government, society, corporations, whatever, there's so much high level money changing hands that Mm -hmm. doesn't ever like reflect any, like a majority of human beings lives in America. But it's like the defense department's being overcharged by Raytheon. Raytheon, Everyone's like overcharging each other Mm -hmm. in some sort of like, as someone who works in production and has done some commercials in my life, like when you do a commercial is when you feel like the most American thing. It's like, there's like, a thousand people here, probably all of their salaries are six figures and all they're making is one small commercial for one yeah. small telecommunications project. And this is one of 50 they're shooting this year. They're putting so much time and money into it. It's like, how is this helpful for the wireless company that it is? Mm-hmm. Or like, how? And then you're like, oh, because they're all just passing money back and forth up top, making sure... 85, 95% of Americans don't touch it. It's like, just yeah. pass it around to all our big corporations, all making a little few bucks here and there off each other and fuck everyone. But there's no trickle down from that. There's no like, no. well, every time we do one of these glo- huge transactions, it is a little taxed and we get to see like that goes towards helping the world in some capacity. Right. None of that shit. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that the more money you earn, the more likely it is that your job is fake. You know, that your job is just, is just 
moving fake money to another fake place and and congratulating yourself for doing that. Yeah. It does feel crazy that the easier, the weirdly enough, the highest paying jobs are also the easiest, it seems like. <laughs> except, except for doctors. But it depends on what kind of doctor you are. And even within doctors, it's like, you know, you kind of assume like, okay, well, you know, doctors are really, you know, beneficial to society, so they should be getting paid the most or whatever. And, and, and yeah, I, I, love, I love that doctors make money. But the inequality in earnings among doctors is so high. Like, you know, you're general practitioner that you see your family physician or your primary care provider or whatever you know when they when you go to them because you have like a weird thing on your dick for example you know like (laughs) they're, they're the guy they earn so much less than like you know a knee surgeon who does like a few knee surgeries a week um and oversees a lot of like physician assistants who are actually doing most of the work or whatever and they're the they're the guys buying two boats you know um and there's just no like you know rhyme or reason really to to how uh in income is distributed among (laughs) among doctors and, and nurses you know and it's funny because like again you know coming from the nhs my stepdad was a doctor and you know, the NHS, it's done, it's it's even a step further than, than single payer. It's, it's single payer and single provider to the extent that, you know, the NHS owns all the hospitals and pays all the doctors as well as just paying for them. Do um, doctors make good money in the UK? Well, that's what I was going to say is like, you know, I mean, my stepdad was just a general practitioner and we were fucking fine. You know, like we had, I'm not, you know, I didn't grow up like rich, rich, but we had everything we needed and, and more, you know, and like... You know, that's and that's with having the scary socialist death panels uh, style of healthcare. You know, and like that does. You know, the junior doctors are always getting screwed by the NHS. You know, they're not making enough and stuff. But um, there's absolutely no reason why you can't pay doctors and nurses and, and so on fairly and very generously, and also ensure everyone has healthcare. But that's like one of the biggest, you know, lies that the anti-single payer, you know lobby tells is like well you know your hospital will close or your doctor will go out he'll retire because he won't be able to make enough money anymore and it's just like and uh, no he fucking won't also <laughs> <No he> won't. <laughs> also libby you're touching on something that's gonna that gets me worked up and i'm gonna go ahead fucking retire doc if you are yeah. being a doctor because you wanted to make mm-hmm. money then you shouldn't be a fucking doctor and that's kind of how i feel like i'm like these cops who are like judging overtime and making yeah. 180 grand a year and the budgets are through the roof and they're affecting the uh, ability for the city to help any city to help other departments and other places and it's like you know if you wanted to make 195 grand a year i don't think you should have been a cop <laughs> exactly like like a cop's job you retire in 20 years because it's yeah. hard mm-hmm. and it's that's the benefits of it. Like you get your pension after only 20 years of work. That's good. That's enough. But the fact that it's also like, uh, you know, chief Moore, chief Roy Moore comes back into the LAPD and now he's getting like his pension and a $285,000 salary. And it's like, wait, 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 that's that's. And like, so the knee doctor that you were talking about, it's like, wait, there should be a cap for these guys. Like, yeah. like if you wanted to be a billionaire, you should have been a fucking weirdo businessman. Yeah, and you not... should have been Elon Musk. Yeah, exactly. yeah, you should invent something, or you should fucking write a uh, a series. Of, uh, to be a billionaire, you got to write eleven movies that are fucking blockbusters. Uh, <laughs> it's just like this thing where we're so like, I have to, when you go to the doctor, someone you think is going to help you medically, 
you have to, and help your body and like what's going on. You have to think this motherfucker is also here to make money. And like well, the fact that that motivation yeah. is always there is so it taints every interaction you should ha- like you would have in life. It does. It does. And that is, you, know, you kind of brought this up earlier, but the suspicion that your doctors are recommending procedures or drugs or, or whatever, because it will make them or their practice or their hospital money rather than um, because it's the best thing. I mean, the part of the reason America spends so much money on healthcare is because of this epidemic of kind of over-treatment. Um, and it was, it was actually something that happened to me when I, you know, it was a very stark difference when I first moved to the, to the U S I get, um, chronic migraines. And so, uh, you know, I had been to a neurologist when I was about 19 in the, in the UK, uh, on the NHS. Um, and then I went again when I moved to DC to do grad school, uh, in 2013. And, um, the difference, the difference was very stark, you know, uh, the, the neurologist I saw in the UK, I sat with the neurologist and she took all of my, you know, history and stuff. And she, she said like, yeah, I mean, you know, I, she did all the neurological tests where you have to like follow a finger and stuff. And you feel like the dumbest person on earth, you know, it's like, wait, am I following a finger? Right. Or am I going to get this wrong somehow? You know, that activates me too. I'm like, I'll be the best at this that they've ever seen. And it's like, they're like, (laughs) like Donald Trump. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like trying so hard. I'm like, I followed it. Right. They're like, yes, good job. Yeah. Yeah, You you did what a baby can do. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah, You understand object permanence, Libby. (laughs) Continue on. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And so, you know, she was like, well, you know, I, I don't think you need an MRI. You know, you've had migraines since you were 10. Like, it's probably not a brain tumor or whatever. Um, but I can order you one if you want, if it'll make you feel better. And I was like, no, that's fine. Um, then I go to the neurologist in the US when I when I was 23 or something, and um, I don't see the actual neurologist. I see her assistant for like 45 minutes, and then the neurologist comes in for five minutes at the end. Uh, she immediately gets something from my chart just completely wrong. Um, and, you know, she does the same tests and stuff. She's like, all right, I'm just going to order you an MRI just to be sure, you know, just to be sure it's not a brain tumor. And I was like, if I had a brain tumor, I would be dead by now. Like, I'm 23. I've had migraines for 14 years or something. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not a brain tumor. Yeah, but- it does. Developed alongside my brain, you're telling me. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't know, you know, I was like, okay, well, if the doctor thinks I need an MRI, I guess I'll go get it. Uh, And I had shitty, you know, student health insurance or whatever. And so I was lucky that it only cost me $300 because of my deductible or whatever. And, you know, it was, again, I did not know anything about healthcare at that point. Um, And I got a bill for 300 bucks and I was like, wait, like, but she told me I needed it. Why do I have to pay for this? (laughs) And of course it was fine because, you know, it wasn't a brain tumor, but, you know, and that's a really minor example of the kind of like upselling that they do um you know and it's so ridiculous that you have to you know be like the same thing that makes you kind of wary when you go and buy a car like they're going to try and sell you a feature you don't need or you know like i don't know like some safety feature or something that you don't need with the doctor it's exactly the same thing it's like well they're going to tell you uh, you know, yeah, I think I think you really need, um, you know, this procedure. We're gonna, you know, scrape out your insides, and yeah, you know, but it'll be really <laughs> safe. And it's it's a genuine problem, especially for older people, because the older you get, the less safe it is to do like medical interventions. You know, if you're like 82 and you've got, you know, like three, you need to get your pancreas like, removed. It's yeah, harder exactly. than if you're 22. <laughs> exactly, it's more dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, they'll they'll tell these these patients, you know, especially on the Medicare Advantage plans, which are the privatized ones um you know they'll tell them like well you know you you know like 
maybe it, you would be a little more comfortable if we did this invasive, painful procedure um, where they that, can build the build a government for it. Yeah, and that we you, you risk your life getting on the table, and then like recovery is X amount of times harder, exactly. exponentially harder for you because you're of age or whatever. Exactly. Uh, the, something you said there, I think part of why American doctors also overcare is because of our litigiousness of yes. our country yes. because and again what is that what's why does someone sue why is someone litigious uh, why is medical malpractice lawsuits a thing because people make a lot of money on it mm -hmm. including lawyers including all the system that sets it up including the people that make the loss so like doctors are afraid of like if i don't give and, and not fully and, and i'm not giving them an out but there's an element of like what if I'm wrong and this MRI does come back and she has something, but she, we said, eh, it's probably not any big deal. You don't get it. Three yep. weeks later, you have glioblastoma and you're like, hey, doctor, Washington, D.C. doctor, you were wrong. I'm suing. And yep. now everything is fucked for that. Not everything is fucked because they have the money, which is the, another <laughs> weird yes. argument to be made going on here. But it is one of those things where it's like, so now they're going to, and that's, assist like a self-fulfilling prophecy we've sort mm -hmm. of created where it's like well everyone's afraid to pay a lot of money i know like people who don't go to the doctor because they just they think it's going to be something and it's going to be too expensive and like mm -hmm. they don't want to deal with it i also know people my 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 grandmother-in-law do people say that my wife's grandma or yeah. like uh, a few of her two different family members of hers pretty much wiped out their savings in the last year in their life at a nursing home. Yes. And it's like, cause they're, cause they needed so much care, but everything that they saved their whole life to pass on to their family. Like we're talking, people have to sell their homes while living mm -hmm. in the nursing home to mm -hmm. continue the family home. That's been in the, in the home for generations is now gone because grandma wants to stay alive. And so we're going to financially punish her for that. Yes. And it's like yes. that, People are making decisions of like, I can't put my mom in nursing care yet because we can't afford it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, just get... like fall, let her fall down the stairs at home. You know what I mean? Like, like that's like, <laughs> right. like that's the, those are the choices we're asking Americans to make at times. It's fucking, yeah. it's terrible. You want to get really bad? Um, Let's do it. <laughs> so there's this thing called Medicaid estate recovery. Um, and Ooh, I already it, hate it. And you're going to, you, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to, it's going to fuck you up. It fucked me up when I found out about it. Um, and it's very undercovered. There's been, uh, there's only been one really major national news article about it, but, um, so, uh, to qualify for Medicaid, um, you know, and to qualify for, uh, you know, long-term care on, on Medicaid, um, you know, obviously <laughs> to get Medicaid, you have to have less than something like $2,000 in assets or so. It's a really, really low amount. You know, you basically can't have like a car or like any stuff, um, you know, to qualify for this. However, they don't count your house. So you can keep your house if you, you know, they, they don't count your house as an asset because the idea is like, well, you're not going to sell your house, you know, kind of thing. Right. However, if you go into a nursing home on Medicaid and, <laughs> um, you know, and all you had was your house and you're in the nursing home for, let's say, a year or two years or something. When you die, your they will put a lien on your house um, and uh, you basically means your family won't get the value of the house. They won't necessarily kick out, you know, grandma who's still living there or whatever, but, you know, um, they'll, put, they'll put a lien on the house and you have these situations where, you know, and they'll do that regardless of the, the value of the house. You know, if it's like a $40,000 
you know, like beat up piece of shit house, you know, in like Michigan or something. It doesn't matter. Um, it's actually mandated by federal law that states have to have these Medicaid estate recovery programs. Um, various states have different rules. So like some states are incredibly strict and they will even take money for non-nursing home care. And then other states are much more lenient and they w won't really go after it so much. But uh, yeah, so you have situations where like I talked to a woman in Colorado and uh, she has muscular dystrophy and she's had it for 40 years. Um, you know, she <laughs> uh, she's like 70. Um, she's been on Social Security for decades because she can't work. Um, and because she's on Social Security, when you're on Social Security for disability payments, which is a whole nother thing, you really cannot have any extra income. They make you like you can't do constantly. anything yeah. you can't have anything and so she's got nothing except the house that, her, that she lives in that her kids grew up in and it's all she has to pass on to her kids and she obviously needs more care um more care than her you know children are able to provide they have families of their own they have lives of their own and that happens all the time where you know kids become caregivers or whatever um but she needs more care but she won't go into a nursing home because all she has to pass on to her kids is the home and they are telling her like look mom we don't care like just go into the home it's whatever but because you know parents are programmed to do what's best for their kids it's so hard for her to get over this this mental barrier that you know and it's not like the house is you know it's some huge mansion that she's going to pass on to them but it's all she has and so right. it's her of only this program, thing she fucking it's has the only thing she has and like uh there's just it it feels like they know that like it's so fuck mm -hmm. like it feels it's like no there's no mobility for people uh and i i, I know we're talking about someone who has muscular dystrophy but it feels like by not even allowing them to like earn any extra money, it's like yeah. you, you, st we, we still have you, and it yep. just feels like an insane thing where you get like, oh, and so talking about the generations before of like mm. that woman is of the generation of the house is the most important thing I could pass on to <laughs> right. my kids, so right. she's let literally going to die mm -hmm. so that she can pass that on to her kids, and that's because. Also in America, a house is super hard to get. And if you do get it, it's like all that matters. And you have to live your entire life to like maintain it without yeah. losing it. And it's like mm -hmm. mortgage wise, taking care of it, what all that. And it's just like another thing in America where it's like you're a slave. Like if you own a home and need health insurance, you're a slave to your job mm -hmm. and like your bank. And there's like, so sorry, let me not use the word slave there, but you are beholden to these two entities yeah. that have one, you know, millions of people in that same position that they're just slowly vampiring their lives away from them, whether it's finances, their time, their whatever. And it's like, I'm, I'm not even stoned, but it starts <laughs> to feel like the matrix. It's like the country is running on the blood of like middle-class and poor people. Like mm -hmm. everything that is happening for us is because of, it's like these people who like sacrifice their entire lives to work for whatever and then just die with nothing to pass on to their family. It's like, yes, thank you for stopping by the planet Earth or America and putting 50 years into labor so that someone else could be super rich. Uh, and also everything that you did squirrel away is going away as soon as you die because we're taking it back via hospitals, civil mm -hmm. asset for forfeiture, this, all these ways that like, you're just destined to be fucked and it sucks. It's terrible. Like all this stuff is upsetting, but for me, 
and this is like a point of privilege, obviously. The thing that bothers me the most is that it's somebody getting something over on me. Yeah. That's the thing that activates me the most is like, this is probably the white trash Long Islander in me, but it's like, <laughs> I refuse to be scammed. Yeah. Like, and it's like, yes, okay, people are dying. Like all these awful things, it's like huge, but on the smallest, most micro level, mm-hmm. the thing that drives me the craziest is like, these motherfuckers are getting away with it. And like, yes. we, and we're out there talking about it, but everyone has got their hands in the healthcare pot. Anyone who has a chance of making, of doing the three point turn of the Titanic that is healthcare, like anyone who has their ability to do that has their hands in a fucking pot that they're making money off of this healthcare stuff. Whether it's donations from pharmaceutical companies, straight up <laughs> pharmaceutical money, like money, like, People whose constituents work for pharmaceutical companies are like, I'm a senator that has Pfizer in our, you know, and it's like, hey, those are good, hardworking Americans. People making 250 grand a year to prescribe opiates or like, you know, to push the power of opiates to people. Like, we're not even like all this shit we're talking about healthcare is all really money based and like set like, like what it does to our lives. We're not even getting into like the other evils of healthcare of like, knowingly doing bad things like prescribing uh, dangerous drugs. And I've been saying this a lot and I've also been talking now for like 40 minutes, uh, 40 minutes unbroken, but I'm going to wrap this up. I've been saying a lot. I feel like every step of the way in America, if there, if someone can look at a, like you were talking about the guy who jams the screwdriver into healthcare, Mm -hmm. there is someone looking at every single thing that's happening in America and saying like, Hmm, I could probably make more money if this happened it would negatively affect thousands of people's lives, <laughs> but my family would have another house and that, yep. and like, I got to take care of my family. So goodbye diabetics. Like, you know, goodbye, uh, senior citizens, goodbye, uh, minorities, goodbye, whatever, whatever we need to do to like, you, like if I feel like in America, if someone was like, Hey, we found something out. If you cut the heads off poor people, your <laughs> stock prices go up. And someone's like, line them up. <laughs> like, you know, let's start cutting the fucking heads off. Like, someone would make that decision. Like, and that's what's like, I'm hyperbolic here, but that's what drives no, me the most crazy. The thing is, they, they basically are making that decision every day. Like, they are making the decision to cut people, poor people's heads off, you know, or to, to, to make lives worse and more miserable and to lead to early deaths after decades of hard physical work uh that sucks and where they can't see their family and you know just all of these different like splintering ways that life is made worse um because uh stock line go up you know like that's that's it um and you know i think it's actually an underrated obstacle to you know when we like when bernie was running r.i.p um and, oh. Uh, oh. i know <laughs> broke my heart um and uh you know we were talking about single payer and you know all the all the opponents to single payer were out and you know they have all the obvious ones like you know the insurance companies but your also doctor hospitals. will say no to your face you know, yeah exactly yeah arguments. yeah exactly um but when you think about how you know healthcare is a huge part of the economy and if you are invested in the economy, if you are invested in the stock market and the more money you have in that, um, you know, if you have money in like an index fund or, you know, if, for example, you invest in a, you know, a private equity company or whatever invests in, in hospitals that, you know, there is so much money tied up in, in the healthcare system working the way it does. It's not even just healthcare companies or pharmaceutical people. It's, 
all, the entire like elite of America is in is pretty much invested in things working this way. Um, and, yeah. You know, wait, even- <laughs> this brings me to I want to tie this in exactly what you're saying. So many people benefit from this, including the people who run corporations that offer healthcare as one of their benefits Absolutely. to their employees. Because then you could say, I could pay you fifty five grand, but I could also pay you forty grand, and you still won't leave for someplace better because you refuse. You don't want to lose. You won't quit because you'll lose your health insurance. Yeah. So that's where I, I said it a little earlier. But like, there's like an indentured servitude, a little like lord and vassal relationship that comes totally. with, and those corporate leaders are the people donating to pharmaceutical companies, donating to like this is important. Like those, so like the executive class who don't even work in healthcare at all. Like if you own any business, having healthcare be employed, like tied to employment benefits them. Cause it's like, yes, you can maybe go to find a better job, but you won't quit because you cannot. So many people, like you said, like so many people, millions of people, if they didn't need the health insurance from their job would quit their jobs today. No, absolutely. And that's just like, and people are like, well, that, that will, that's why we can't give free healthcare. And it's like, Ah, I feel like if free healthcare starts coming down the pike, we're going to see a lot more people cool with raising the minimum wage and standing out that way. And if and people are like, well, companies won't hire as many people. It's like, good. Mm-hmm. Like we have to figure it out. Like people have billions of dollars and other people have no dollars. <laughs> people with no yeah. dollars are dying younger, dying earlier, have less, are arguably end up because of that doing less for society because their whole life is just keeping their head above water rather than moving society forward. And then the elite class is make is just raising the amount of money they already have in the pile behind them, but not moving society forward in any way. So it feels like we're everyone benefits from things not getting better. Everyone gets richer from things not getting better. Yes, absolutely. And, and that'll be the thing that will stop things from getting better forever. And that's why in addition to all the other stuff Bernie had, one of the things he had was he was one of the first people for me. And I'm assuming for a lot of other people and I'm, other people are more informed than me. I'm sort of mainstream <laughs> politics. I'm like Bernie Hillary heard of him after that. I'm like <laughs> tapped, never did any research. I'm an idiot. Uh, I know way more about uh, mo- uh, action movies than almost <laughs> anything important in life. But like when Bernie came, it felt like the time, like, if I could tie it to entertainment, like you're so used to like executives having like bad ideas and like being the reason why if you, when you meet an executive who's like, look, I just want it to be funny. I trust your comedy. And you're like, wait, you guys do exist. Bernie felt like that too, where Bernie's like, Hey, I'm actually over here in the fucking sin bin, but I'm looking out for you guys. I think you shouldn't pay healthcare, pay for healthcare. And we're like, Whoa, there's a guy on the inside who agree- you we just assume it's us versus them because it is mm-hmm. until one person goes I'm actually kind of with them that and then th- they get turned on they like <laughs> they get boxed out by everyone because it's like this motherfucker is going to show everyone how the game works we can't have him showing the game absolutely. works absolutely and it's absolutely. like and now we'll never like Bernie will be like buried in like put, I know knock on wood but pushed into the fucking corner of politics forever now i know so was a real one and you know the thing is is like about bernie is like you know there will be other will be other politicians who propose good things like he did but he that fucker had like 40 years of just being a cool ass dude for like 
in in just completely you know um unknown basically you know just like very obscure he was the mayor of burlington for like 10 years and he was just like dedicated to being cool and he was like writing letters to uh, you know, like the mayor of Manchester saying, like, release the IRA prisoners and shit in, like, the 80s. You know, like, he was doing cool stuff way back then while everyone else in national politics was, like, a prosecutor or, you know, like, a lawyer for a pharmaceutical company or something. He's just been cool as hell for decades. And, like, you can't you can't grow that. You can't replicate that. You know, it was, a, you know, like, they'll. I have hope that maybe there'll be some someone cool who runs for president again, but... <laughs> Yeah, Not I don't bad. know about running for president, but mm. I do think Bernie running out there and taking the arrows of the yeah. right and uh, the Democratic Party, yeah, won't absolutely. call him the left, but the right and the Democrats fucking assailed this guy, shot him with a bunch of arrows. But I think he took enough arrows that like eight or nine fucking, you know, the squad and a couple of other like, Sneak you know, out, right. they're like, ooh, all right, we can go a little further out behind Bernie. Hey, none of us can go for president yet because we'll be undone systematically. Yeah. But every time some one of these people just moves the moves the Overton window, like a nudges it a, a, a millimeter left. I'm like, that's all we can ask for. And that's how bad politics. That's how bad it is for most people that were like, Ooh, the fact that Bernie just brought up the idea of Medicare for all of, of healthcare for all is like the fact that he just brought that up is like, he's my hero. And he's just saying something positive. Like he's immediately attacked for it. Absolutely destroyed. They're like, no way we could do this bullshit. You fucking old man, get out of here. <laughs> but he's like, he's the first person ever. who's just like, how about, this not and he's maybe not the first person ever but he's the first person well, mainstream like that it. i picked yeah. up yeah that I, at, at that tier of politics where absolutely he had a shake at the president and, and he didn't do the thing that would help him get elected he did the thing that he like believed in and mm -hmm. believed that would make uh, america a better place and motherfucker was right and we I know <laughs> he was so right <laughs> it's it's just dishearten it's a little disheartening uh, yep it was it was a tough time. Let's let's see if let's see if we can, yeah yeah right say no more. Let's see if we can uh, spin this into like let's end this on a positive note. Are we seeing anything anecdotally or groundswell or grassroots that is reassuring or hopeful or like besides the fact that like Bernie brought it into the conversation, which is nice yeah. that now there are a group of people who are like, this is something we can fight for. But is there anything else like happening on the healthcare front where it's like, or people that are doing the right thing or organizations that, I mean, obviously people could just subscribe to your Substack sick note and get some info there, but Thank you. Uh, is there, is there anything actionable or anything to like assuade our stresses and our fears? Like there are some good people. Cause that's, that's all you need to hear sometimes is mm -hmm. like, and that's what yes. Bernie was for a lot of people. It's like, there's a dude on the inside who's like, kind of knows that sh shit sucks. That's amazing. Like, is there anything else out there that we could be hopeful towards? Yeah. <laughs> Short I answer, mean, no. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm setting I mean, you up in a terrible situation here. Sorry, but. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard because, you know, I agree with you about the sort of inexorable feeling about all of this you know that it keeps getting worse um and you know like premiums keep going up drugs keep costing more and stuff i do think the tone of the company you know when i when i think back to you know 2010 and when the affordable care act passed um and if you go back and read some of the stuff that the kind of like 
the liberal media wrote at the time, it is way to the right of where we are now. You know, you had people writing about how good the individual mandate was because otherwise, um, you know, people just will freeload and just go to the emergency room and get free care. And it's like, buddy, have you heard of a bill? Do you know what a bill is? Because they can charge you afterwards and it can ruin your life. And, you know, that was like the elite of the country writing this, you know, in- incredibly informed post about how it, people will get free care in the emergency room or whatever. And so- also, is if that's a negative concern of yours it's know, like, it's just... <laughs> what if people start going to the emergency room for when yeah. they need it it's like oh okay. totally no there's like economists are like the stupid people the stupidest people with degrees in america and like they are health economists are like have been convinced for years that like it's a real problem if <laughs> if people get single pair because then they'll go to the doctor more and it'll, and it'll overload the system and it's like all right st- take a step back you're worried that people will go to the doctor more you're worried that people will get too much <laughs> healthcare or whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. Anyway, um, I do think there, are, there has been a kind of shift in how people talk about it and how it's covered. You know, I do think sort of, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, a liberal elite here in, in DC and, you know, so I'm surrounded by, you know, all of this stuff. But I do think that um, the way people talk about uh, you know, as frustrating as it was to see the coverage of single payer stuff in the last couple of years, it's better than it was 10 years ago. So there is something like that. There are, you know, there is there is more coverage, for example, of um, hospitals, uh, you know, billing uh, people after, um, you know, after they leave hospital, uh, suing their their patients for, for medical bills that they can't afford. There is more coverage of that, at least. And it's really funny. Every time that happens, the hospital goes, all right, we'll stop doing it. And it's like, well... <laughs> If you didn't have to do it in the first place, yeah, and it only took a journalist bringing it up, why were you doing it? But anyway, you know, there are there is like a slightly better media environment, I would say, which is one thing. And you know, in terms of like, you know, you were saying like people doing cool stuff, and um, you know, like in sort of smaller scale examples of of stuff like that. I mean, yeah, there is. You know, there's things like RIP Medical Debt, which is a really cool organization that I think John Oliver covered that too. Um, you know, they they buy up medical debt for like pennies on the dollar because they don't expect to ever collect most of this debt. So you could basically just say like, all right, well, you know, you've got $100,000 of debt that you're never going to collect. I'll give you $1,000 for it. And they go, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, like <laughs> so at this point, are... we just need to put some money in the bank. Yeah. They do that. And then that person says, we can raise $1,000 via our nonprofit and pay for this and wipe... You know, yes. two major surgeries off someone's like, although $100,000 could even just be one surgery in fucking America. Oh, absolutely. It could yeah. be half a surgery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you could have paid. That could be surgery with coverage. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are small scale examples. Of, you know, I, I every day when I, you know, I when I interview people for Sick Note and stuff, it's it's tough. You know, it, it, feel, it feels terrible um, talking to people about these awful things, but you know, at the same time, sometimes I'll talk to uh, doctors who are like pro single payer and and, and get it. Um, and uh, you know, because That's there exciting. are actually there are a lot of doctors. You know, the surprisingly high number of doctors are. You know, um, it's increasing the number of doctors that support single payer. Um, and I think part of that is the high cost of medical school. Um, you know, uh, there, you know, it's part. It's been part of pro- of proposals for for Medicare for all. Um, to you know, make it like not cost millions and millions of dollars or you know hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah that way school what that's what i also that's crazy because like we're as a country as a world more doctors would like never be a problem yeah so we make doctors like financially uh, like unattainable to become a doctor it's like well why don't we like you know 
try to get people to be doctors. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't like it. We could promote the idea of like, look, it doesn't cost a fortune. Or we could like say like, hey, nursing is a great job that you, ha- you don't have to go to school for nine years. for Like w- we can push people into these. Something you're saying too that is triggering me a little bit here is like, if it was Medicare, if we all, if, we, if, if healthcare was free and the person who might not have gone to the hospital earlier mm-hmm. and like, does go and does nip something in the bud. Yeah. Like if that is happening at scale, that is theoretically saving the country a ton of money. Like it would like 100% like the, no one thinks that it's good either medically or financially to have people waiting until they can't breathe and have to go to the emergency room to check out a cough that they could have had looked at six months ago. You know, no one thinks that's good. And doctors hate that shit. You know, and they hate dealing with insurance. You know, it ruins their day <laughs> having to deal with insurance. I talked to a guy recently who's a family physician. Um, and he's, you know, I asked him, like, you know, how do you deal with having to fight insurance all day? And he's like, honestly, I, ha- I have to pay someone whose job is entirely doing that. You know, and, and he has to employ someone just to fight the insurance companies for the medical care that he prescribes as, you know, for his patients. Um, and all of that Damn. shit costs money, you know, like wow. all of this stuff is so inefficient uh, and doctors hate that stuff. So, yeah, there are more doctors who are supporting single payer and and and, uh, and stuff like that. Physicians for a National Health Program is another really good um, organization that they've been around for decades, like supporting single payer, for, you know, doctors who support single payer. Um, and those, those, those people are really cool. Um, because, you know, I do think that ultimately a lot of doctors, maybe not most doctors, but you know, the, the main reason you go into medicine is to help people and they do want to help people. And there are many things about the healthcare system, both the way it's just set up and the way we pay for it that make that so much harder for them. Um, and there's a lot of propaganda coming from hospitals and the American Medical Association and, you know, the the cardiologist or the knee surgeon who makes a million dollars or whatever, trying to tell these younger doctors, like, no, you know, if you had single payer, like, how would you pay your medical debt? And I mean, your medical school debt and, um, you know, oh, it'd be so much harder to do blah, blah, blah. And there is this kind of like, feeling among especially i think younger doctors like no actually that is bullshit um you know that they are kind of rejecting that it's starting to reek of indentured servitude again where it's Mm -hmm. like if medical school costs a lot we get these doctors who get their first they start their job with two hundred thousand dollars in debt they're not gonna want to give free health care they're not gonna want to be doctors without borders they're not gonna want to like you know help people volunteer their time or anything Mm because they need to make a shit ton of money to be able to pay off all their stuff. And then because of that, doctors' salaries are rising. And now because of that, people are choosing to be doctors because it's financially a good it's financially a good idea. Rather rather than like if it didn't cost a bunch to be a doctor and it didn't pay that it didn't pay an ungodly rate. And people I think more people would go like, well, I will become a doctor because I want to help and I care Precisely. about people. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, a- I mean, if you're if you're a doctor and you know you've got like you said two hundred thousand dollars in medical debt and you didn't come from a rich family, this is the big difference. If you didn't come from a if you did come from a rich family, it's like okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, two hundred thousand dollars. What's that? Maybe you weren't in debt at all. You know, but if you did, uh, you know, if you didn't come from a rich family and you're you know you're trying to decide what kind of medicine you want to go into, it's like well, I could go and work in a uh you know a federally qualified health clinic for the poor. Um, you know, like I serving- could be a prison doctor. I could be a school doctor. I could like. Yeah. 
yeah. but no, I got to be serving homeless people or you yeah. know, like people who don't have insurance, which is ultimately is inevitably going to pay less, even if it still pays you know, more than I'm ever going to earn, it's going to pay less or I can, uh, you know, piss about being, you know, being a cardiologist or whatever. You know, not that being a cardiologist is easy. <laughs> yeah, you right. Know, but you, you could, could be like a, uh, a cardiologist to the stars. You could put new tits in people for, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and, and be yeah, a doctor. Yeah, be a dermatologist, make, yeah. Yeah, and exactly. make a shit ton of money and be, and you, you just, I, you just know the doctors that are like, I do this because I like to make money. Like, you know, you can tell. It could, it yeah. just, the vibe is there. Yeah. Well, that's the, and that's, the, you know, I know we're going on and on, but that's another thing I love about the NHS is, you know, I mean, obviously, like, you know, there are better hospitals and worse hospitals and that happens and stuff. But the, the extent that that's driven up in America, you know, when I think about, you know, the one public hospital in DC, which is going to be shut down because it's, you know, like bankrupt and all that stuff. And then comparing that to Sibley, which is the fancy hospital that is out in the Palisades where all of the, you know, fucking lobbyists and, and stuff live. <laughs> there just shouldn't, there, there shouldn't be, uh, that shouldn't be a thing. Good hospitals and bad hospitals based on the surrounding, you know, income of the people that live there, the people they serve, shouldn't be a thing. You know, you shouldn't have to worry about your hospital being a bad hospital compared to a good hospital because of the income level of the people it's, it, it serves. But that is a hundred percent the case in America. And the department, it, the department, uh, the education system would like to chip in on this conversation well, indeed, and yes. say, uh, Hey, we feel the same pain in that there are bad schools because yeah. the people who live there don't have as much money as Absolutely. at the good, the richer neighborhoods. It's like, that seems wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Whereas at least with the NHS, like, you know, this isn't to say that there aren't bad hospitals. There are some really bad uh, hospitals that get in trouble in with the NHS. But, you know, there is this kind of democratizing thing of like, well, if we're, you know, the, if we're all mostly going to the same hospitals, you know, there is private health care in the UK. And I would love to abolish that and just put everybody involved in it in jail. But, um, you know, if we are mostly all going to the same hospitals, if the person who earns a million dollars is going to the same hospital as the person who is homeless, then... That is, you know, it's like you say, it's the same thing with education. Like if you make the rich kids go to the same schools as the poor kids, it's going to get better because, you know, those rich parents are going to those PTA meetings and ensuring that that school is good. And it's the same thing with if you make rich people go to the same hospitals as poor people, then, you know, it's going to get a lot better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe it's a little worse than their concierge care that they've been used to, but I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. No, and Sorry. They, and, and they have to do what the rest of us have to do. Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like that's, there's so much shit in America where it's like, yeah, you can ride the train or you can fly private, like, or yeah. you can chopper or you can take a black car. It's like, we have to get back to doing shit together, unfortunately. That's right. <laughs> and I, as a person who loves, loves to be alone, I'm not excited about <laughs> that either. But like, for real, we need to, we need to push our, this is a dumb corny thing, but I've been saying, but I just need to push our, if everyone pushes their circle of empathy, the circle of what they give a shit about, if everyone pushes it out 10%, we'll start really overlapping each other and covering each other and covering our neighbors. So like all community bit driven shit, all that stuff, like the amount of GoFundMes for comedy adjacent people that I I've like, I've helped put 10 of my friends into like serious treatment that they've 10, 10 plus. And yeah, 40 plus strangers i've donated 50 dollars or what to right. them needing to a new wheelchair a new blank a this and it's like th- th- wouldn't it, it be easier if that was just issue. tax you know yeah. it's like you're already paying the gofundme tax of donating to your friends it's like what if that just went to the government and then the government did it for us you know right. it's very simple 
<laughs> right. It seems so crazy. Or it feels almost like it's like unions or large organizations should be like, look, we take $50 a month out of your check, but that's our pool for you to go for every union member to go to the hospital for their life or whatever, yeah. you know, like, like some sort of, I'm now getting into like co-op and collective and like hippie shit, but like, that's where your brain starts to go. Cause you start to be like, we can't trust one person in power anymore. Cause yeah. they're going to do everything they can to keep that power and get more powerful and make money. We need to like spread it out amongst the people. Like, and I, again, don't know what I'm talking about in this instance. <laughs> You're like, Libby. Libby's like, yeah, <laughs> it reads. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, Makes more sense than anything I've thought the past week. So it's fine. <laughs> oh, that's That's great. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on High and Mighty, Libby. This was a oh, thank blast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this, no, anytime. This is something I'm like uninformed on and love. And I'm looking forward to your Substack and get learning more via that because, uh, we got, we've got, this is something we got to, and I think it's one of those problems that's like, oh, now that I switched my shoes, my hips and neck no longer hurt. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. one of those things where it's like, well, now that we've healthcare, like wealth inequality is starting mm -hmm. to go down. Like there's, there's just so many like weird little fundamental problems that are all weirdly tied together. And it's just like ri yes. rich people yes. get richer, uh, yeah. poor people getting poorer is the root of it all. <laughs> but where can where can the shitheads where can the listeners find you and uh get on your sub stack or any other plugs that you would like to throw out here yeah uh all shitheads go to uh it's uh, sicknote.co um and that takes you to the page for my newsletter you can sign up um for free uh most of the posts are free i haven't decided yet what i'm going to do about subscriptions you know people can pay me if they want and I, that's great um but you know eventually <laughs> i will have to start putting stuff behind the paywall which i really hate but you know i got it eat um and um yeah and uh see you know you can read all my previous posts there as well um and yeah that's it ah uh, well libby thank you so much for coming on shitheads do whatever you can out there to fucking make healthcare less of a nightmare for everyone do do it hey this is to all my high school listeners go to college go to med school become a doctor and be a cool hip socialist doctor please yes be one of the be one of the good doctors not the uh, cardiologist wankers <laughs> like the guy who saved my dad via heart surgery is like this motherfucker is yeah, that guy <laughs> You go, you go in to get like a heart murmur checked out. And it's like, oh, so you want to come to a cardiologist, Libby wants. It's like, wait, you listen to High and Mighty? You fucking doctors listen? No way. I don't no want to go to a doctor that listens to High and Mighty. <laughs> <laughs> if a doctor's like, I love Joe Rogan, you walk the fuck out of oh, there. Oh, yeah. No, there's a, a Libby-shaped hole in the door when he says that, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm at Gabers on all social media. Listeners, uh, you know my other podcasts. You can find them. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And... Bye, shitheads. That was a headgum podcast. In a part of the world where there are no rules. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit, guys. Holy I'm so pumped. I definitely have not watched this since I rented it on VHS in 92. Strangers united by the threat of death. We got all the fucking major players. Seagal. Vladimir Putin is a good man. Arnold. Here, come. Give it to me. I need you to cream pie me now. Stallone. People are loving this movie. <laughs> it's actually, it's got a lot of heart. You're mentally irregular. <laughs> no. 
somewhere, somehow, someone's gonna pay. I would fucking love for my wife to like see me rip a guy's throat out, but they didn't count on one thing. This movie's fucking insane. It's how you know it's a good movie. You have to do almost all the work yourself to figure it out. Oh, there's a fantasy component. Yeah. There's some yeah. sword fighting. There's some lightning. Bam, 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 bam. bam. There's a new game in town. You wake up after a few years, and then you don't even know who you are anymore. We're going to be making Terminators. <laughs> We're going to make a really great deal with the Xenomorphs. What? I don't hate them, but I pity the roommate. Yes, I understand. This is now the 20th ending of the movie. I am dark. I'm your dad. Action, boys. Boys will be boys. Subscribe here for bonus content and more free stuff from behind the paywall. To get new episodes, become a patron at actionboys.biz. Do it. Do it. Come on. Do it now.